You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. So, uh, hey, we're in a series called Fixer Upper. I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm actually going to be teaching on uh, the continuation of a parable that Jesus taught about the prodigal son. Um, and so, really, there's the story. I'll just kind of walk you through the story just for a moment. Um, but the story of the prodigal son is in your Bible. If you want to go ahead and open it up, we're in Luke chapter 15. But the story of the prodigal son, I talked about it uh, the, a couple weeks ago. I'm the story of the prodigal son. The story, the prodigal literally means like wasting money, okay? It means like you're wasting something. Um, in your family or your life, you know the prodigals. They're the ones that they make the big idea is the, it's the idea with the prodigal and in the story that Jesus tells this parable, it's the story of a younger brother that made obvious bad choices and big mistakes. There's this obvious bad choices and big mistakes. And so you can fill that out on your outline. The very first thing that you see, Jesus tells this story. And in the story, there's two people. There's tax collectors and sinners. That's one category. And then that he's addressing these groups of people. And then there's these self-righteous Pharisees. So the story of the prodigal son is in, is in your Bibles in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. And again, it's the younger brother made obvious bad choices and big mistakes. Um, the, the reality is, is like if we walk through this story, um, we have to realize that Jesus had an audience. Again, it's these self-righteous Pharisees, and then it's these sinners. And so he tells a number of parables, um, but this parable about the prodigal son, he's got a younger brother and an older brother. The younger brother makes the bad choices into big mistakes. And so just to refresh your memory, he's kind of like a rebel. He makes a bad decision. He tells his dad, dad, give me my share of inheritance. I want to go out and live the way I want to live, do the things I want to do. A very irreligious kind of mindset. Uh, he squanders his money, as the story goes, and he lives a reckless life. Like he spends it all, blows it on parties, and what we later understand as prostitutes. So he, Vegas has got nothing on this guy. I mean, this guy is, is living a reckless life, according to the story that Jesus is telling. And then there's this, these deep results of rebellion. Uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I walked through this, but we see this, the results are he's down to nothing. He's in a pigsty. He, and he comes to his senses and there's this reality check. The younger brother wakes up and comes to his senses and says, you know what? I'm living like a fool. My life is a train wreck. I gotta get back to home. And he says, I'm gonna apologize to my dad. I'm gonna ask for forgiveness. And he goes home, he does that. And then there's this incredible reunion. The father comes out, runs off the porch, wraps his arms around his son, gives him the robe, gives him a, a wonderful feast. There's a party. I mean, it's awesome, okay? And meanwhile, there's the older brother. And I'm gonna call him today. It's the story of the other prodigal son. And that's where we're gonna spend our time today. The older brother lived a life doing everything right. He didn't live like a fool. He didn't make the big, big mistakes and the bad choices. He didn't do that. But he is the other prodigal in the story. So let's look what the scripture says. And picking up in verse 25, Luke chapter 15, 
picking up in verse 25. There's this party going on. There's, and the question comes, the older brother says, who's this party for? And in, and in verse 25, it says, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked, what are these things? What's going on? Now, stop for a moment. The younger brothers lived like a fool, squandered the money, took dad's inheritance, blew it on parties and prostitutes. The older brother, meanwhile, what we know about him, he's a pretty good guy. I mean, he lives a pretty good life. He obeys dad. He does everything that dad asked him to do. And he knows something's not right. There's a big party going on. I was thinking about it this week, like what would a Hebrew hip hop party look like back then? And I thought maybe it was like cool in the gang. Like, you know, you hear that song. All right. So, so there's a party going on in there and he's deeply offended by this party. And so he calls one of the servants and he's asking this question, and he, and he called one of the servants and asked, what, what, what do these things mean? What, what's going on? I mean, it's cool in the gang in there. They're just having a blast. And, and look at the response. The answer is in verse 27. The answer, he says, it's your little brother, man. It's your little brother. He said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. In other words, isn't that good news? Isn't that awesome? This is what your dad wants. He loves you guys. He's he's so, he's celebrating this fact that the son made it back safe and sound. Now, what's the older brother's response going to be? You think, I mean, a good older brother, a good older brother would say, hey, when, when, when the younger brother runs away, what would a good older brother do? A good older brother would go, hey, dad, you stay here. I'll go look for him. I'm going to find him. I'm going to go myself, but no, he doesn't go. He didn't go look for his little brother. The young brother runs off, gets in deep trouble, comes home, gets back, and now the older brother, is he happy? Is he mad? Watch this. The older brother's anger is what we see in verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. You know what I realized here is in this older brother is, He's isolating himself. He's so angry. There's, there's something more going on in the story. He's frustrated about something. Something doesn't seem fair. There's a party going on for the younger brother. And I don't even want to go in. His arms are crossed. He's pouting. When my kids get mad they, and they feel like things are unfair, they will go to a corner, cross their arms, pout, of the day I was sitting with Maya, I was tucking her in. She's seven years old, and I'm tucking her in. And meanwhile, uh, Sam and Riley, who are 14, were in there. We're watching Star Wars. And uh, I'm tucking Maya in, and she starts to cry. And I say, why are you crying, sweetie? And she says to me, because I feel like you love them more than me. And I said, why do you say that? And she says, because you all always stay up and watch cool movies. I said, no, I love you all the same. Here's what we see in the story. This anger, this resentment is starting to brew. And then look what the father does, though. Does he yell at his son, his older son? You ungrateful boy. Look what he says in verse 28. We see the father's pursuit. The father came out and entreated him. That means he urged him. He implored him. He exhorted him. 
He's saying, come in. There's a party going on in here. Your brother was lost. Now he's found. That's something to celebrate over. Look at the older son, though. It goes from bad to worse. Verse 29, and we see the older son's disrespect. But he answered his father, and look what he says. He says this. He doesn't address him by, hey, dad. He didn't give him a title. He doesn't say, sir. He doesn't say, father. He goes, look. You don't say those kind of things in the Hebrew culture. There's, there's a sense of, of respect that is deeper than this. He says, look, these many years I have served you. And in the Greek, that word serve doesn't mean serve. It means slaved. He goes, in other words, he's like, look, all these years I've slaved. Then he goes on, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So in other words, he's like, he got a history lesson for dad. How many of you guys get into an argument before and it starts getting historical? You know what I'm saying? When you get into an argument with somebody and then all of a sudden you're like, well, back when this happened, this happened, this happened, and it just escalates the whole, the whole conflict. He never got a goat. He's upset about it. I mean, you know, like, I guess he just had chickens or something. I don't know what he had, but he didn't even get a goat. And uh, I'm like, man, what's wrong? You, who cares about a goat? You know, like chicken's much better than goat meat. But he never got a goat. He's very frustrated and he's comparing himself. In other words, like you treat this one this way, you treat this one this way. And he goes on, verse 30, look what it says. But when this, this is what he said. I mean, this is how disrespectful he is. Verse 30, but when this son of yours, let me pause for a moment. He basically says to his dad, hey, look, doesn't even give him the title, dad, doesn't even give him the title, sir. And then he says, when this son of yours, he's like, what he's doing is he's playing his cards out. Where is his heart really? He doesn't even care about the family that much. He disrespects his dad publicly. Let me just give you a word of advice. You're going to confront somebody, challenge people privately. Don't challenge them publicly. Just, just a lesson on relationships. The son challenges his dad publicly, doesn't give him the title father, doesn't give him the title sir, and then goes on so far to tell him, this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, yet you kill the fattened calf for him? You know what the older son's doing now? He's playing like the judgment game. He's in the seat of the judge. Uh, why are you doing this? This isn't fair. Why are you treating him like this? And he goes on, look at the father's response. What's gonna happen? The father's response. In verse 31, and he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Like, that's a cool dad. That's a cool dad. Like, in the chaos, he brings calm. He could have, he could have punished him. He could have rebuked him. He should have reproved him, you would think. And everybody's there, family, friends. And he tells them, like, everything that I've got is already yours, son. And then verse 32, and he says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. So the father is challenging his older 
his oldest son to get with the program, to understand there's no limits to his love. He loves them both. But here's the problem. The problem is the older brother struggles with unbelief and arrogance. He has a deep struggle with unbelief. What, is he un, he, what does he not believe? What, how is he arrogant? When the unbelief, he's failing to believe that the father is good. He thinks he's unfair, unjust. And I hear that all the time with Christians today. God's not fair. God's not fair. This isn't fair. Like the news flash ought to be is life is not fair. I can think back to times in my life where, um, um, you know, in putting myself in this, in the older son's shoes where I felt like things weren't fair. I, I was 21 years old and my dad and my mom decided to have a baby. So I'm like, what? I'm in college. You're having a baby now? So they were, my mom was like 40. And I'm like, you can do that? Yeah. So they have Isabella. She's a sweetie. Um, she's married now, lives in Boulder. But I remember at, I was 21 years old. They have a baby. She's the fifth child. And mom and dad raise Isabella very different than the way they raise the rest of their kids. And I remember telling my dad one time in, in a car ride, I said, hey, dad, I don't know if you care about this, but I just want to tell you, the way you parent is, a, is so different the way you parented me. And my brothers and, and my oldest sister, and he says to me while he's driving, he goes, well, Ryan, life's not fair. And I'm like, oh, thanks, okay. And then he's like, you know what? He's like, what's it to you? Am I not the one who can choose how to parent my kids, how to treat them? This older brother's got this mentality that he's entitled to something. He's got a, some, a subsurface level of unbelief that dad really doesn't know what's going on, that he doesn't really know how to do this. And he doesn't even give him the respect to call him father or sir. He just says, look. So what's the older brother's sin list? The older brother's sin list, it's there on your program, but it's anger, it's bitterness, it's resentment, it's stubbornness. I mean, he's so stubborn, he doesn't want to go into the party. It's trying to control things. He's actually trying to control his dad. He's trying to control how things work. He's trying to control how, who gets punished, who gets rewarded. He's disrespectful. He's arrogant. He says, look. He's jealous. He's comparing. He's constantly comparing. He overestimates his view of himself. He has this kind of subsurface disbelief in his father's judgment. He has a sense of entitlement. He's self-righteous. He's prideful. And he definitely looks down on his younger brother. And he really is looking down on his dad's decision. Saying, seriously? The younger brother? Yeah. He says, one of your sons squanders the money and spends it on prostitutes, and you're going to throw a party for them? So my, my point to tell you this is, let's talk about what Jesus is trying to do here for a minute. This is a story. This is a parable. This is fiction. But Jesus is very cool, very intelligent, most masterful teacher who ever walked the planet Earth. And what he's trying to do is to give very clear understanding to the root of the problems with two groups of people. One is the sinner, 
the tax collector guys, they were bad, bad guys, made bad choices, big mistakes. And then he's trying to push back on the Pharisees, the self-righteous, the religious. And by the way, did you know that most of Jesus' ministry was spent addressing these people, the uber-religious? And you know what he's doing? In the parable of the prodigal son, I would call it, rephrase it, because in your Bible, you see that subtitle. That wasn't divinely inspired subtitles. Those were us, people, later in history, putting those subtitles. I would rephrase it and call it the story of the prodigal sons. There's a lesson for us to learn from the younger brother. There's a lesson for us to learn from the older brother. The younger brother is the one who makes big mistakes and bad choices. And how many of us have done those before? Then there's the story of the older brother who has this uh, arrogance and this uh, unbelief. And you know what both of them do? They both, one wastes money, the other one wastes his life. And they look very different, but they're both incredibly loved by the Father. And so this morning, what I'm wanting to do with you is to walk through the passage to be able to help you understand this reality that you and I are both, we're both the, the older brother. So the first thing is this, is to how do we fix the plan with facing our own unbelief or arrogance? And the first thing I want to encourage you to do is Maybe you remember the song from the King of Pop, Start with a Man in the Mirror. You look in the mirror and you realize this, this is a, something interesting, is that you realize the older we get as believers, the more we act like the older brother. The older you get as a Christian, the more you can act like the older brother. Why is that? Because I think that before you're a Christian, or even as a Christian, you can act like the younger brother and just make terrible mistakes. Big, bad choices in life. But then as you learn to grow in a relationship with Jesus and you start following and pursuing him, you can kind of think, man, I'm getting better. I'm so much better than I used to be. Then you can go a step further and start thinking, yeah, I'm better than them. I'm so much better than them. My life is good. And you know, under the surface, maybe you're not making the big mistakes and the bad choices, but what if God could see the heart and he goes, yeah, but your motives are all wrong. That's the story of the older brother. He had whacked out motives, and he was just as equally in trouble as the other younger brother. So here's what I want to show you is that realize that the older we get, the more we act like the older brother. The Bible tells us that we never graduate from sin. Romans 3.23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. In Proverbs 8.13, it's there in your message notes, that passage, it says that God hates, he uses the word hate, he hates pride and he hates arrogance. So when we're prideful and we're arrogant, he, God hates that. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah that the, that the heart is wicked and deceitful. And we think all the time, well, just trust your heart, trust your heart. Yeah, but what if the heart is prone to wonder and to run away from the God we love? So we have to start in the mirror, look in the mirror. I mean, I think about this in my own life is like, there's not a week that goes by that I don't say one of these phrases. You might want to write some of these down. I'm sorry, my mistake, I was wrong. But then come back and say things like this, I love you. 
So we have to start with the person in the mirror. How could God fix our unbelief and arrogance? We first look at ourselves. Our greatest challenge in life is not somebody else against us. It's not even the devil. Our greatest obstacle and greatest challenge in life is us. It's you and me. We're the greatest hindrance to everything that God could do, want to do in our lives. And when we can humble ourselves, the Bible said God opposes the proud, but he shovels on grace towards the humble. I remember a story years ago about a guy. He was a really humble person, and God was using him greatly around the country for ministry. And somebody asked him, what's your, what's your secret? And he said this really funny phrase. He says, I always camp near the edge of my depravity. And I remember thinking, what does he mean by that? And what he, said, what he meant was that he doesn't want to camp too far away from the sins of his past and all the big bad choices and the big mistakes he made because he doesn't want to lose sight of how good God's grace has been in his life. And I sit there with my wife. I'm a, I'm a prodigal son, okay? My wife's a prodigal son kind of person too. We like to call ourselves the redeemed, redeemed rebels, and sometimes when we're looking at situations that go along in the church and people's lives and stuff like that, or even our own kids, and we can kind of become judgmental or critical, I always stop us real quick and I say, hey, 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 sweetie, where were you at 13? Where was I at 13? And then we talk about it for a moment, and then this tidal wave of grace and mercy starts to pour onto our lives. See, the older you get as a Christian, the more self-righteous, prideful, and arrogant you become. So do I. So I'm just telling you, what is God trying to do in this? He's addressing two groups, the crazy, reckless sinners, and then the self-righteous do-gooders, the Bible thumpers. And you know what he's doing? Here's what he's doing. It's really cool. He's saying, my grace covers it all, man. My grace covers it all. Christianity is not living a self-righteous life. It's not living an immoral, sinful, self-discovery life. Just go find yourself. Well, Christianity is not that. Christianity is living in a, new, in a new way. And saying, you know what? I thank God for what he's done in my life. I'm not going to judge people. That's God's job. I'm going to love people. I'm going to receive God's grace and we take step by step. When we come to the scriptures, we see this reality that there is this deep level of unbelief and arrogance in the older brother. And these family dynamics that we see illustrated is intended, listen to me, it's intended to rattle the cage of the Pharisees, the self-righteous. My greatest concern for North Valley would be this, is that if grace did not, meaning unmerited favor, if grace lost its place at this church, I wouldn't want to be here anymore. Because that would mean we need signs over the door that per, only perfect people are allowed. I mean, what's good news about that? There's nothing to say there. No, we need signs on our churches that say no perfect people allowed. Because in doing so, we're magnifying mercy and we're highlighting God's great grace. And the grace is for the self-righteous and then the self-discovering sinner too. It's for both. So look in the mirror is the first step. The second one, when I just say is peel the onion. And you're like, what? Onions stink. Yeah, so does sin. Peel the onion. Learn to repent for doing good when the motives are wrong. 
So the older you get in the Christian life, the more like smoke screens you can throw up, the more subtle your sin becomes. So let me give you an example. So in my household, you know, we've got a seven-year-old and two 14-year-olds. And so I will admit that one of my weaknesses is I don't like a loud, cantankerous house all the time. Like I see my house as a refuge. So when I get home from work, I just want things to be at peace. I want it to be calm. I want shalom on the home. That means a Hebrew word for peace in the Middle East and on my place too. So I'm sitting there and I want shalom in the home. And so when my kids are at it, my, all, doing whatever, ah, then I'm come home. And then if my wife says something to me and she gets on to me about something, you know, I didn't do the chores or whatever, because I got a chore list too. And so I can do this. I can appease. I can say, hey, I'm sorry, but I don't really mean it. Hey, I was wrong, but I don't really mean it. And guess who knows? God knows I'm lying. But guess who else knows? My wife. <laughs> and so here's what happens. Appease, 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 people please. What happens later? It can just explode. You, you, can, you can be doing that. So I can say, I'm sorry, do what's right, but deep down, God knows it's really wrong. It's just an act. What were the Pharisees doing? They were doing the same thing. They're self-righteous, acting like they're praying, acting like they're repenting, acting like they're doing everything right. Meanwhile, they're judging. They're doing wrong things. They got false motives, undercover. They're just as wrong and unrighteous as the wild folks, the sinners, the prostitutes, and everybody else. Peel the Onion. Many of you might have seen in 2001, there was this computer animated comedy, the film with Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, and Cameron Diaz. And this green guy, you remember him? Shrek. The story with Shrek is this, is that there was like a, he was upset because Lord, I'm going to butcher the name, Lord Farquaad, <laughs> Farquaad, whatever, you know, he banishes all these fairy tales to go hang out in his swamp. And he was not happy about that. He was a grumpy old ogre and happy at the same time. He's sitting in the swamp. All these fairy tales show up. And he's like, forget it. I'm going to go address this guy. And so what does he do? The only person that can guide him back to the kingdom is Donkey. And Donkey takes him on this guided tour. And along the way, the ogre Shrek is frustrated as it all get out. And donkey doesn't understand him. And then finally, the ogre says, ogres are like onions. And they go into this big discussion. I love that illustration. Here's what I'm saying to you. Sin is like onions. There's layers. There's always a sin beneath the sin. There's always a sin beneath the sin. God sees the heart. So let me illustrate that with the story of the prodigal, uh, the older prodigal son. Layer one would be, he's rude. He says something. Look, he's rude to dad. Oh, you're rude. Yes, that's a sin. What's underneath that sin of rudeness? Some sense of entitlement, resentment. You go further and further down the layer system. There's this pride and this arrogance. That's the sin beneath the sin. That's peeling back that onion and realizing how stinky and how bad it is. It's bad. Guy got historical on his dad. You never do this. You never do that. There was deep levels of unrepentant frustration, tension, resentment, 
anger, isolation, expectations, broken expectations. And then it comes down to this. The sin beneath all sins, in my assessment, is this, unbelief. I think every one of us, at some level, if we were to peel back the onion, there would be at the very bottom of it is an unbelief. Unbelief in what? Unbelief that God isn't good, that God isn't great, that God isn't gracious, that God isn't glorious. And so what do we do? We do whatever we need to do to cover that up. And it happened at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. What they believe? Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were told, this is the one thing I don't want you to do. And the lie was, no, 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 no. God's holding something back from you, so go do it. The sin beneath the sin, peeling the onion, is unbelief. There's a deep level of arrogance in the older brother. There's a deep level of unbelief. So, like, I can already envision it now. My wife, after I preach this sermon, I'll be like, you know, doing something in the kitchen, and I'll say something, and she'll be like over there cooking dinner, and she'll say, peel the onion. Like if I'm not really going deeper, you know. You need to peel that onion, Ryan. And what does that mean? That means I need to get to the root of the issue. What's really going on? Last thing I want to encourage you is is to realize this, is that you can relax and you don't have to chase grace. Grace is unmerited favor. (laughs) You don't earn grace. The younger son didn't earn grace. The older son doesn't earn grace. Why, your heavenly father is full of grace and he's chasing you. What was Jesus trying to do in the parable? He's trying to show the matchless mercy of God. He's trying to show that incredible love of God. It just doesn't fit our categories. It's scandalous. It's frustrating. You and me are like the kid who's frustrated. Why does God do that? Why is life unfair? And he's like, hey, man, there's no limits to my love. You say, how is he chasing? Well, let's look back at just the passage there in your Bible. You might see this. But remember, with that reckless rebel, the younger brother, the Bible says in verse 20 that when the young brother came and started coming back to his dad, the scripture tells us about while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran after his younger boy. That's the, that's the imagery, that's the picture that, man, we got a heavenly father. When we blow it, we screw everything up. There's a God in heaven who says, I'm coming for you. Just need you to know that. So you don't chase grace. Grace chases you, friends. The psalmist says that wherever we go, that surely goodness and kindness will follow us all the days of our life. Like That's just reassuring for me that no matter what happened, and what a great parenting message to my kids. Listen, God's grace will follow you everywhere you go. God's grace will chase you, and it's unmerited favor. It's not because you're super special or because you do things right now. I'm just telling you God's love doesn't even make sense to us. But then with the older brother, you're like, how does God's grace chase him down? Well, when he was angry, the older brother, and he heard the celebration time, come on. And he gets angry. He refuses to go. He's stubborn. And the scripture tells us that the father came out. He left the party. 
he left what was happening right and he goes and he to his son and he doesn't scold him. He reminds him of just how good his love is. He says this in verse 31. He says to his son, I can imagine he wraps his arm around his son and he says, son, hey, listen, you're always with me. And everything that is mine is yours too. That's the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. And I pray, Father, as we move forward from here, that we would just champion your grace, that your grace is good enough for the reckless lifestyle, the self-discovering sinners, and your grace is good enough and great enough for the self-righteous legalist and the people that have everything put together, and that your grace is good enough for that. Help us not to stand in the seat of judge. Let you be the judge. And God, I pray that where there is big mistakes, bad choices, I pray your grace ministers to that today. Lord, where there's self-righteousness, arrogance, and a deep level of unbelief, I pray that your grace would minister to that today. And we thank you ahead of time for the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the truthfulness of your word and give us the guts to live by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.